I bring greetings from uh, FBC Coburg, Fellowship Baptist Church in Coburg, and uh, have been truly blessed to have been here for a few weeks. And I came out here and wanted, uh, was excited to be encouraged of our partnership with, with you and with, with Mile One Mission. And now after meeting uh, the, your, your elders and your church planters and your interns, I'm not sure what the report should be that I take back with, uh, to our church. Uh, it's, it has been really, really good. Uh, really good laughs, really good encouragement, felt uh, warmly greeted by all of you, and uh, we'll, we'll miss uh, all of you greatly. I'm looking forward, however, to getting back to my family. Uh, I think I have a picture up here on the screen of my wife and my son and me at Christmas, uh, my wife Naomi and our son Charlie, and so uh, 35 hours from now I will see them again, not that I'm counting down, but, but 35 hours from now. And I'm, ve- I'm very excited for you as a church uh, to be here, to be here today to see uh, what the building committee will present as a new building for you, to be here as part of the time where the, the staff have been looking at the new office space, and uh, I can't tell who's more excited, the office staff for the new office space, or Debbie Bray to get her basement back. Uh, I, think it's a, I think Debbie wins the, uh, the excitement award, though, for that. Uh, and so all of this, I'm very, very excited. I'm very excited just for our partnership in the gospel, and to see the gospel go forth uh, and to see new churches planted throughout uh, St. John's and the greater St. John's area. And so we are, we are excited. We pray for you lots at our church. It's great to join in on the, the prayer video calls that Mile One Mission does. Uh, I want to say to you, the, you, there is that Journey to the Cross devotional that you would start this week that's out in the foyer. And, and I've done that devotional for about four years now. And this might be the fifth year that I've done it. And I, I cannot encourage you enough to take that devotional and to go through that devotional uh, over the, the next uh, 40 days of Lent uh, leading up to Easter. It'll, it'll be uh, refreshing to you, encouraging to you, challenging to you, make you focus on the cross as we come to Easter. And so I want to, again, I know like Pastor Steve gets, gets paid to tell you to take the devotional and go out there. Uh, I'm, I, I don't. And so I want to encourage you. Go out there, grab that devotional, and go through it. Uh, even if you're a young person, go through that devotional. It's not a long time commitment. You could do it as well as what you normally do for your devotion time, and you will be greatly encouraged by that. Have you noticed that there's something missing in your life right now? Have you noticed that there's many Canadians where something great is missing in their life right now? They're feeling it. Do you know, do you know what the thing is that they're missing right now? Roll up the rim. Roll up the rim to win. How many of you are missing that right now? Don't worry, it's coming, okay? For those of you who are big Tim Hortons fans, uh, it's normally around this time of year, but Tim Hortons is revamping the way that they do roll up the rim. They're including some digital things to it, uh, but it is coming. And has anyone here ever won any of the big prizes from Roll Up the Rim? We, the, the treasurer at our church, he used to be uh, the chairman of our church, he won the $100 Tim's card. So that's about the most that I've known. I guess the bike, I knew someone who won the bike, and so that's pretty impressive. This year, the, the big prizes, uh, I think they have four prizes of $100,000 that you can win this year. So that's pretty decent. So if you won that, that would be pretty impressive. And if you won that, what would you do with the $100,000 that you won? What would you do if you won $100,000? You'd probably have to pay taxes on that, I would guess. Uh, but I'm sure that you would have some sort of plan to spend it. If you're a college student, you'd probably pay off your college debt. If you're a parent of a college student, you'd probably pay off your college debt. <laughs> you would probably maybe go on vacation, you give some to your favorite elder at Calvary, right? 
Uh, would, would they have to tithe on it, Steve? Would you expect them? Oh, absolutely you'd have to tithe on it. Oh, we give some towards the building fund to get that to the building up and going. Anyways, I'm, I'm sure you'd have some sort of plan on what you would do with it. If you had something even worth even more, wouldn't you have a plan on what you would do with it? Today we're going to talk about something that is of inestimable worth, exponentially worth more than $100,000. The comfort of God. The comfort of God. And I'm going to ask this question to you this morning. What do we do with God's comfort? What do we do with the comfort of God? Now wait, Pastor Ben, wait a second. What do you mean, what do we do with the comfort of God? And that's sort of my point exactly this morning, is that oftentimes we are eager uh, to receive God's comfort. We're not sure. We never thought through, am I supposed to do something with God's comfort? Am I supposed to do something more with God's comfort other than receive it? So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as we ask the question together and answer it, what do we do with God's comfort? What do we do with the comfort of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is a quintessential passage in the scripture on God's comfort. The concept of comfort and comforting occurs ten times in this passage alone. The density of the concentration is even more striking in the view of the fact that of approximately 31 times... These two words are found with this meaning in the New Testament as a whole. 25 of those 31 times that we find it, it's in Paul's writings. Of these 25 occurrences, 17 of those occurrences occur in 2 Corinthians alone, and 10 in this very short passage. In contrast to the theme of comfort, we find the themes of affliction and suffering. The word affliction occurs 45 times in the New Testament but is used more, more by Paul than all the other writers, specifically 24 of those 45 times, with nine of these occurrences in 2 Corinthians and four of these occurrences in this opening passage. And all of this can be boiled down to one phrase. Paul talks about comfort more than any other author because Paul talks about suffering more than any other author. Paul talks about comfort more than any other author because Paul talks about suffering more than any other author author. So let's dig in. Let's read this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also may help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now before I dig in, I want to note something about this passage. It does not say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who removes all of our afflictions. It does not say he removes our afflictions. It says he comforts us in our afflictions. 
Now, I don't know why God removes some afflictions from some people and, and just comforts other people and doesn't remove them. We can discuss James 1, where we're counted all joy when we face trials. Or when the disciples ask Jesus when they come upon a blind man, who sinned, this man or his parents, uh, that he's blind? And Jesus says, neither. It was so that God's glory may be displayed. Or when Paul asked for his thorn in the flesh to be removed, and God said, no, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Those are all aspects of what God does uh, through suffering, but why some people he comforts and other people he removes the suffering and affliction, I do not know. And we ought to be very careful not to assume that we know or jump to conclusions. John Piper points out that in Scripture we see the men and women of God who suffer attribute the suffering to God, not to Satan, not to sin, but to God. This is what he writes in, in one of his books. Job and Paul have this in common. When struck by Satan, they feel the hand of God. Ultimately, their suffering was from the Lord, and they knew it. The Lord said to Satan, All that Job has is in your power. But when the calamity struck, Job responded, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A second time the Lord said to Satan, Behold, Job is in your power, only spare his life. But when the horrid disease came, and Job's wife urged him to curse God, Job replied, Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And the inspired writer adds, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And like Job, Paul recognized his thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan, but, design, uh, but designed by God for a very gracious purpose, to keep Paul from being too conceited. So this passage in 2 Corinthians has uh, become all too real for me and my wife. Uh, and and I, I preach on this not just as one who has read scripture, but has experienced this comfort of God. Uh, in a tough time in our lives. It came a few years ago. Uh, at that time, Naomi and I were training for our fourth summer of triathlons. Not the full-blown ones. I'm not that amazingly talented. Uh, but the shorter ones. Like, I, I did an Olympic distance triathlon. And so you can go and look up what those distances are. But we were in really good shape. My wife at the time was 27 years old. And uh, she would uh, clean houses at the time. Just part-time cleaning houses. And enjoyed doing that. And when she would come home, usually her lower back was sore from vacuuming a couple of full houses. Many of you might know what that is like. Uh, now, when she came home that one particular day, uh, she, her back was particularly sore, but she wanted to also go out and weed the garden, and she enjoyed weeding the garden, and went out there and did it, and when she came back in, her back was even worse. Now, it wasn't the worst pain she'd ever had, but what was different about this time was the pain didn't go away. She woke up the next morning, and her lower back was still in, uh, she was still in agony over that. Uh, over the next few weeks, we sought help to, uh, for her, chiropractors, osteopaths, so on, to help with her lower back. And there was a little bit of improvement. And we thought things were getting better until she started getting pain in her arms. And it started in her left arm and then to her right arm. And she had constant, you could describe it as nerve pain in her arms. And this pain also didn't go away. We continued to seek help for her, seeking specialists, having x-rays done. I think in total we saw about nine or ten different specialists to figure out what was going on. And no one could tell us exactly what was happening. And as we prayed and as we prayed, uh, her back didn't get any better. Her arms didn't get any better. In fact, the pain spread to her legs as well. And so now she had pain in her legs. And then to her neck. And we prayed and we cried out and we prayed. And she only got worse. To the point where she couldn't drive, she couldn't cook, she couldn't clean. Uh, her son was about two at the time. She couldn't hold her son. 
Uh, we would go out to the mall and she had to be pushed in a wheelchair. We would go to the zoo and she had to be pushed in a wheelchair. And we cried out to God and things just got worse. We had further tests done, MRIs of her brain and her spine, and all came back clear. And we didn't know what to do. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You pray and you cry out and things only seem to get worse. That it seems to fall on deaf ears and you ask God, where are you? Why have you forsaken us? What, what have we done to deserve this? That was us. And this passage became a key passage for us in the midst of that. And realizing that God is the only one who truly comforts us. That God is the one who ultimately raises the dead. And he's the one who one day, even if he doesn't remove our suffering here in this life, we know he will remove our suffering and affliction in eternity. Today, Naomi is better, but still not 100%. Uh, she can walk and she can swim. She's not able to do any sports, really. Um, we planned on having more kids, but Naomi would not be able to take care of a baby as um, her back, she wouldn't be able to pick up anything heavy like a, um, like a, a car seat or anything along those lines. Um, she, she, gets, she gets joy out of her friends who have had kids and is able to hold them. And we, uh, we have lots of great young families in our church. And so uh, we are more than blessed with our son, Charlie, that God has given us. And we feel that this is uh, God's family for us. Naomi still gets back pain if she does too much and some arm pain as well. We don't know if she'll ever be 100%, but we are grateful for where she is today and the healing that God has provided. I'm grateful for the comfort that he gave us. In the midst of all of this praying, what we came to realize is that the presence and the person of God is far greater than his provision. That just the presence and person of God is far greater than his provision. And so we learn when God doesn't seem to fix it, that you just rest in who he is. And you can just, you get to know God even more through that time of prayer. And so this is the, a huge passage that became so real for us in the midst of reminding ourselves that God is this God of comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. That he doesn't remove the affliction necessarily, sometimes he does, uh, but that he comforts us in all of it. And so this leads me to the first thing we are to do with God's comfort that we see in this passage. The first thing we are to do with God's comfort is to celebrate it. The first thing we are to do with God's comfort is to celebrate it. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's praising God for being that God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. He gives praise to the one who comforts us and encourages us in our afflictions. It's important to learn to praise God and celebrate his comfort when we are not in the midst of affliction, though, so that when we, so we have this practice of doing so for when the affliction comes. You know, it's key when you're developing theology of who God is to develop that, um, our understanding, apart from our experiences in our lives. We should not base our theology on experiences or craft our theology around circumstances because it would mean that our, that our theology would change based on our circumstances and based on our experiences. Which is why whatever you're experiencing, whatever you go through, your ultimate guide for, for who God is and what he does is through scripture, is through this truth. So our theology must be based on God's word. Like the writer of Lamentations, we can take a great example um, from Jeremiah, who weeps over the destruction of Jerusalem. He feels all hope is gone, but listen and listen to the words he uses to describe his grief in Lamentations 3, verse 16 to 20. He, God, has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. 
I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So was my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Have you felt that way before? I don't even know what happiness, I've forgotten what happiness is. But the encouragement that that Jeremiah gives us, though, and the the means by which we're able to develop the theology of who God is and be reminded of this, as he says in verse 21, the very next verse, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, here's my experience. I don't even know what happiness is. Things are so awful. I feel like I'm chewing on gravel. But this is what I know to be true in spite of my experiences. This I call to mind, verse 21, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. And maybe there's someone here this morning that you have felt like Jeremiah feels at the the first half, that first section. And I just want to remind you to recall to mind this morning that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So have hope in the Lord because he is the God of all comfort. And we celebrate that. See, Jeremiah goes back to what he knows to be true about God. He doesn't allow his circumstances to change his view of God. Rather, the theology he developed is able to recall to mind uh, who God is, and therefore he has hope. And so I encourage you today to recall to mind who God is, that he is the God of all comfort, and that we celebrate that he is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, and that we praise him this morning because he is the God of all comfort. But not only do we celebrate God's comfort, but we're also to receive God's comfort. We are to receive God's comfort. Now you might think, why would I not receive God's comfort? Like, why would I not want to receive it? Uh, It's because we like to be miserable sometimes. Don't you like to be miserable sometimes? We were talking about that this morning with someone who was dealing with uh, being sick. And when you ask him what it's like to be sick versus his wife, uh, you get two different stories on what they're like being sick together, right? Wives, can you attest to that? That your husband's like, it's the worst thing ever. Or I'm not, like, in, in, in person, like at your home, it's the worst thing ever. But, like, when you at, if, at church, oh, it's not too bad. But then the wife's, like, snickering because she's like, yeah, he thinks he's on death's door, right? Um, so you might, but you might think it. But we like to be miserable. It means we can watch more TV or play another round of golf or we get what we want for supper. We get to eat the whole tub of ice cream. We get to spend a little extra money at the mall. We get to treat others poorly. Or maybe we just, it, uh, we, it justifies us going to drown our sorrows in alcohol. But these are, not, these are actually forms of escapism, not dealing with the situation that we're in. We can forget about our suffering through TV and food and golf and shopping and drinking. We don't actually have to deal with what's going on. Instead, we just forget about it. But that's not true comfort. It doesn't help us to be encouraged about the situation. It often just means that for a moment we cannot think about it. It just masks how we're actually feeling. Uh, It ends up being very selfish because we remain miserable in our suffering and convince those around us that that, uh, what we need is these things in order for us to be comforted. We take advantage of others for our own gain when we have such a great promise in this passage that God is there to comfort us in all of our afflictions. Maybe we like to remain in our suffering and and not be comforted because we get more attention that way. We get more attention that way. Uh, We want people to tell us how much we mean to them. We want them to go out of their way to be nice, nice to us and be with us. But we never really get out of that funk that we're in because we like the attention. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that going and playing a round of golf or watching some TV 
going out with some friends is, is evil or sinful. They are, though, when it replaces God in our lives. When we say, this is the ultimate thing that I need right now to be comforted. This is the ultimate thing right now that I need to feel relaxed. Instead of God, who is our true source of comfort and peace. Now, there are some things that are sin, uh, like getting drunk or being a shopaholic. Um, those things are sin if that's what you're using to, uh, to cover up uh, the, the, the funk that you're in. But these other things, they aren't evil in and of themselves, but they are when they replace God in our lives. And why would we want the temporal things of this world to comfort us when we have the comfort of the eternal God of the universe? So I encourage you this morning, we celebrate God's comfort. I encourage you this morning to receive God's comfort, to receive God's comfort. And not only do we do those two things, but the next thing we see in this passage is that we are to share God's comfort. We are to share God's comfort. That's the whole focus of Paul's passage in verses 3 through 7 is repeating himself a few different ways, highlighting that the purpose of God comforting us in the situations that we find ourselves in is not just for our own gain, but for, the, for others, in order to comfort others. There's many passages throughout Scripture we can find where, where the suffering and affliction that we find ourselves in are used for our own sanctification. It's a big word for being, being more holy, being made more like Christ. Uh, but in this passage, it's not just for our sanctification, but it's also for the sanctification of others. In verse 4, Paul says this, uh, Who comforts us in all afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are under any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. And he continues on in multiple different ways. Verse 5, he says that our comfort overflows. And so as we're comforted and we're filled up by God's comfort, it overflows to those who are around us. He said in verse 6, the comfort, uh, the comfort that he receives uh, is in, for the Corinthians in order that they might be comforted. He wraps up the whole passage by stating that as they share in his suffering, so they will also share in his comfort. And it's amazing that Paul highlights in verse 6 that if, they, if Paul is afflicted, it is actually for the comfort and salvation of the Corinthian church. And so that's absolutely amazing for us to think that there are times in our lives where God will bring suffering and affliction in our lives for the sake of someone else. For the sake of someone else. And that, that sacrifice, as we think about it, oftentimes become very self-focused and self-centered. And to be reminded, maybe the day will come when God is, is allowing this suffering in your life so that you can be that person to come alongside and comfort other people in the afflictions that they're going through. Naomi and I, uh, as we came through her, uh, her time of suffering... What we started finding out from our, many of our youth was many of our youth had physical things that were going on in their lives. Uh, ongoing pain. Uh, one youth in particular who, uh, who had um, pain in her joints all the time. And Naomi was able to sit down and listen to her and encourage her through all of that. Understanding what it's like to be in that constant pain. Now, Naomi could have done that without having experienced the pain, but her ability just to realize exactly what this young girl was going through was heightened so greatly because of what Naomi had gone through already. And so there are times in our lives where we will suffer and we think, why is God doing this? And we can come and be reminded, maybe it's for you, but also have you ever thought that God is doing this in order that you might also comfort other people? Dear Christian, we do not receive comfort just for ourselves, but we receive God's comfort in order that we might share it. 
Unfortunately, we live in a consumeristic culture where oftentimes what we receive is for me, and if I decide to share it with others, it's because I want to make a show and want people to think I'm super gracious. However, that is not the way we should view God's comfort or really anything that God gives us. But especially in this case where we've been told that we are given God's comfort in order that we might give it away. Around Christmas time, uh, we, we have different people in our church who will come to us, pastors, and will say, here's some extra money or gift cards, and we want you to give it anonymously to people who you know are really struggling this time of year. And, and we do that, which is nice for us to do that. No, uh, but it, when we say, if we said, look at us, we're so nice that we're, we're sharing this money that someone else gave to us. Well, no, because it's that person who wanted to give it to us. Or if I said, that's awesome, I can buy Charlie better gifts this year with the money that someone gave to me. You would think I was a horrible pastor. Because the point of that person giving us the money or the gift cards is not for my sake, but for the sake of the other people in our church, those people who need it so desperately. And so in the same way, if we are to keep God's comfort to ourselves, we are missing the point of this passage, and I would argue are sinning because we're deliberately disobeying something that God has commanded us to do. Now let me give you a few pointers on what to do and what not to do when sharing God's comfort with others. When sharing God's comfort with others. First... Don't be the main person talking. As you share God's comfort with others, oftentimes that sharing is just about listening to the person. Just listening to the person. Uh, Don't just quote Christian platitudes or quotes like, don't come and don't worry because Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you to give you hope in a future. Or Romans 8 promises us that all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now you should feel better instantly, right? Are those verses great verses of encouragement? They sure are. When someone is burying their soul to you and going through a suffering time to respond back, just be like, don't worry. Don't worry about it. God, you know, those are great truths, but don't just quote those to those people. There comes a time where we, are remind, we want to remind them of passages like we're looking at this morning, uh, but that time comes after a good amount of listening to what, they, what is going on in their lives and not just giving them simple platitudes because that makes them feel like, their suffering, the anguish, what they're going through is just super simple and easy. And so do acknowledge what they're going through is tough. Do acknowledge what they're going through is tough. And my encouragement for you is to say, that sounds tough. That sounds tough. Uh, don't do the comparison game. I am awful at this. I'm really bad. So don't do, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. Let me tell you my story while you're listening to their story. And definitely don't do, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you what happened to me. All right. At some point, it's good to share your story of God's comfort in your life, but make it focus on God and what he has done for you and the comfort they receive. This one is huge that Naomi and I um, went through. Don't give them false assurances. Don't worry. It'll work out. Don't worry. God will heal you. Don't worry. It'll be okay. God still hasn't healed Naomi. I don't know if she will, if, if, he, if he ever will. I don't know if she will ever be 100%. Um, and so, like, don't, don't promise, say everything okay, but give them assurances that God is a God of comfort. That church is a place to be able to come and share with, uh, with, with friends at church and with fellow believers what you're going through and find comfort there. That maybe even you as an individual are that person who they can seek some comfort in. But, don't, but so give them those assurances that we know that God is there in the midst of what they're going through. Uh, don't just say, I'll pray for you, actually pray for them. And don't just try to fix it. I like to do that too. Uh, I, I like to, okay, well, what are the steps that we need to take now in order to fix this problem that they're going through? 
At some point, there may be a time for you to share all of these things with them. But when someone is bearing what they are going through to, to you, and they're sharing what, what struggles, the affliction, the suffering they're going through, like 90% of it, it is showing up and listening to them and just being there and being a shoulder to cry on. My wife is really good at this. I am not so good at this. Um, but just listen. Christians should be the greatest comforted in the world because we have the God of all comfort. We have the comfort from God that is actually true. Uh, other worldviews can give false hope, false assurances, false answers. But as Christians, we, get, we give comfort that, is, that gives true hope and true assurances and true answers. So we are to share God's comfort with others. Which takes us to the final thing we are to do with God's comfort, and that's to hope in God's comfort. We are to hope in God's comfort. Maybe you're sitting here the entire time and you've been hearing all about God's comfort and what we are to do with it, but you're still unsure. What is God's, what, what is that comfort that we actually are to share with people? What is God's comfort? What does that look like? What is exactly that I'm supposed to be sharing with my friends and family who are experiencing this? And it shows up in verses 8 to 11 where Paul tells the Corinthians the story of what it's like for them in Asia and the story of affliction where their comfort openly comes from. They felt, he says, that they were near death, that they had the sentence of death upon them. But what was the purpose for this? It was so they didn't rely on themselves, but they would rely on God. And listen, here's where the hope is. Here's where our comfort comes from. On God who does what? Who raises the dead. That you are in the hand of the God who raises the dead, the all-powerful God of the universe. That is the ultimate comfort that we celebrate, the ultimate comfort that we receive, the ultimate comfort we share, and the ultimate comfort that we hope in. Paul continues on saying that he has delivered us and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Now this is not prosperity, health, and wealth gospel. This is not, uh, the point Paul is not making here is that whatever you're going through, don't worry, God's going to deliver you from that situation. Because we, again, I've, I've highlighted other passages. Even Paul prayed that God remove his thorn in the flesh, and God didn't. You think if there's one individual in the Bible that could claim sort of health and wealth, I have all the faith that I need, and as, as long as I pray it, God will give me what I want. You would think it would be Paul, and yet Paul didn't get his prayer answered. For that matter, and we talked about it a little bit earlier this week, Jesus didn't get his prayer answered in Gethsemane. Lord, take this cup from me. That was Jesus' prayer. Yet not my will but your will be done. And so it's not a matter of faith. It's not a matter of just name it and claim it. Um, but what Paul realizes is that uh, no matter what they go through, they're in the hands of the one who raises the dead. And so that ultimately there is a great deliverance that God has for us. And it is deliverance from the presence of sin. So there will be times in our lives where God delivers from our afflictions, from our sufferings. Uh, but it's very short-sighted of us to think that this is what Paul, only what Paul is talking about. Because the greatest affliction and suffering that, that it will be removed from our lives is the sting of death. Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthian church this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 57. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sin? Sting. 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is that great hope that we have, that we have a God who raises the dead and takes away the sting of death. Paul wrote this to comfort those in Corinth who were worried about the resurrection from the dead. And so we hope in God's comfort that he is the one who raises the dead. But not only do we hope in God's comfort because he's the one who raises the dead, but as I mentioned before in quoting John Piper, God is the one who is in total control of everything, even our suffering. And so at the end of that passage I read from Piper earlier, he concludes this. The only genuine comfort will come from acknowledging that the all-powerful God has done it and that he is infinitely wise and infinitely loving to those who trust him. The only genuine comfort will come from acknowledging that the all-powerful God has done it and that he is infinitely wise and infinitely loving to those who trust him. And what is Paul's conclusion to all this? After all, Paul has suffered more than I think most of us will. I think it's safe to say. He highlights later in 2 Corinthians the list of his sufferings in, in, verse, in chapter 11, verses 23 to 27. This is what he writes. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am, talking, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness... Danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Those are the sufferings and afflictions that Paul experienced. That is way worse than anything I've ever experienced. Like I said, I think way worse than what most of us will experience in our lives. But what does he conclude about the sufferings in this? In 2 Corinthians 4, this is what he says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction. Do you remember what I just said Paul went through? And what does he say? It is a light and momentary affliction. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And right now... Whatever you're going through does not seem light and momentary, does it? Whatever the affliction that you're going through, when, when Naomi was going through the ultimate pain and I'm pushing her around in a wheelchair, it does not seem light and momentary. My mom's from California, and so I had the opportunity multiple times to go and visit family in California and uh, see San Francisco, the sequoia trees, and probably my favorite though is Yosemite. Has anyone ever been to Yosemite? A few of you? It's absolutely beautiful. Um, that I have pictures up here of Yosemite. So there's my wife basking in the sun out in Yosemite. And this is from up top on Glacier Point. Isn't that magnificent? Absolutely beautiful. That's, that's Half Dome there right in the middle. You can climb to the top of that. And the reason why it's called Half Dome is because it kind of curves up and then it's just sheared straight off. Yosemite is this beautiful place where you feel so tiny and so little in, uh, in comparison to its grandeur. I, I haven't been out to Gross Morn, but I understand Gross Morn is quite beautiful out here too and maybe comparable to, to what Yosemite would be like. So if you've been to Gross Morn, that would be my comparison for you. 
So the day after we were in Yosemite, we flew out of San Francisco and we're flying over the mountains there. And, and on the little map on the TV screen that's in the back of the seat in front of you in the plane where it shows where your plane is, as we're flying over, I, kind of, I see that, we're, oh, we're going to fly like almost right over Yosemite. And so I'm looking out the window, I'm looking out the window, I'm looking for El Capitan, I'm looking for Half Dome, and all of a sudden I realize, oh, it's back there, I, I basically missed it. Because when you're flying at 30,000 feet, what seems so huge and so massive and makes you feel so small and so tiny, itself is really small when you're at 30,000 feet. And in comparison to, to 30,000 feet, it all looks so small. In the same way, that's what Paul is saying, that our afflictions in this life are like compared to the weight of glory that we get to experience for all of eternity. That in the midst of it right now, you feel that you are in the valley and what you are going through is so huge and so massive, you will, you will never be able to deal with it. But yet he reminds us, in comparison to the weight of glory, they are light and momentary trials. They are light and momentary trials. And so he comforts us in that reminder. Calvary Baptist Church, wherever you are at in your path of suffering, may you be comforted by this. Some of you will be heading into suffering soon. You're, you're not there right now, but you'll be heading into it. Some of you are in the midst of it. Some of you have just come through it. Wherever you at today, can I encourage you today to celebrate God's comfort? Can I encourage you today to receive God's comfort? Can I encourage you today to share God's comfort? And can I most of all encourage you today to hope in God's comfort? To hope in God's comfort. Remembering that there's a day when suffering will be no more. And we look forward to that day with great anticipation, do we not? One of the things that I remember, that, remember that story I was telling you about the youth that Naomi met with and talked with. And what she encouraged and comforted us with was she said, you know what it makes me, when, when I'm in pain all the time, you know what it makes me want uh, do more than, than I ever did in my life? Was to say, come Lord Jesus, Come. Looking forward to the return of Jesus, being reminded that this earth is not all there is. We're really encouraged by that. And so the day that we are looking forward to is found in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4. And this is a passage that uh, throughout my, to- my time as a pastor, reading this passage aloud to congregations uh, brings tears to my eyes because of how amazing it is. And this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For, for the former things have passed away. Are you not looking forward to that day? Are you not looking forward to that day? Amen. And, and I think, like I said, the, the, more, the more that we experience suffering in this life, the more we think, man, I'm looking forward to that day when there will be no more crying and tears and death shall be no more. There's no more mourning or pain anymore. And we look forward to that great day when Christ returns. And all of eternity where, that, where this is the case, where there is no more death or crying or tears. Fellow Christians, I encourage you to look forward to that day with great anticipation. To take hope in that right now, whatever you're going through. That no matter what is happening in your life right now, that God will deliver you from that. Uh, whether it is 
present in this life, I don't know, but I can I guarantee you great assurance, 100% assurance, that there is a day when Christ will remove all of the suffering, all the pain from our lives. And when we look back, as Paul reminds us, because of the weight of glory, we'll look back and say those were light and momentary afflictions. Those were light and momentary trials. And so may you rest today in the hope that you have a God who is in complete control, that he is the God of all comfort. Not only that, but we have a Savior who defeated death, so we no longer need to fear death. And one day that same Savior will return and remove all suffering. And we are also indwelled by a Spirit of God who is also called our Comforter and brings to mind the great truths we have been reading about this morning. So may you go out celebrating these truths as we sing and close with this last song. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth that we read today, that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Father, we celebrate that today, that you are, you are that God who comforts us. Father, I pray today that we would receive that comfort. Father, I pray today that we would share that comfort as you call us, that you comfort us in all our afflictions in order that we might comfort those who are in any affliction. And Father, most importantly, I pray that we would hope in that comfort that you've given us. That we would hope in the, the truths and the promises we have of who Jesus Christ is, of what he has done, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And that great hope that we have that uh, one day in eternity, one day when Christ returns, he will wipe away all of our tears. He will remove all of our suffering. There will be no mourning or pain, for the former things will have passed away. And so with John, the writer of Revelation, we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.